This afternoon, we are studying what Scripture teaches regarding the providence of God, as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 10, page 525 of the Book of Praise. What do you understand by the providence of God? God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that, leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed, all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. What does it benefit us to know that God has created all things and still upholds them by his providence? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and with a view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature shall separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they cannot so much as move. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, what gives you stability in life? Is it perhaps your job? Maybe it's your family? And when you look to the future, what gives you confidence as you look to the future? Is it the economic forecast given by experts? Maybe it's the investments you have made. Maybe it's your health. Now, if I were to turn those questions around and ask you what causes you to worry as you look towards the future, or what provides instability in your life, what would you mention? Well, ironically, perhaps you would mention those very same things. So often, the things that provide us a measure of security can also make us anxious, because in reality, those things are so unstable. The economy could easily take a downturn. Your health could easily fail you. So we live in an uncertain world. And in all the uncertainties of life, the doctrine of God's providence is the anchor we need in life. It's the anchor we need as we look ahead to the future, which seems so uncertain in this world. This sustains us and all the instability of life. God himself provides us with that steady foundation we need to move forward in faith in this broken life. That brings us to the sermon theme, God's providence is his almighty power, is the almighty power of our Heavenly Father by which he sends us all things, which he calls us to thankfulness and patience, and by which he protects us from all our enemies. So first of all, his ever-present power whereby he sends us all things. That's our first point. Now, as we study the doctrine of God's providence, we can see that Scripture is full of descriptions of God's almighty power. Here are a few examples. There's Proverbs 16, verse 9. 
The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. That's amazing. Even something so random to our eyes, such as the tossing of a dice, is under God's control. That's what Proverbs 16, verse 9 is teaching us. There's really no such thing as luck. Here's another example. Isaiah 46, verse 11. God himself says, From the east I summon a bird of prey. From a far-off land, a man to fulfill my purpose. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. This too is astonishing. It shows God's control even over living things. A bird of prey. And he says here in Isaiah 46, he's also sovereign over the actions of men. One more example. Listen to what the Lord himself declares in Deuteronomy 32, verse 39. See now that I myself am he. There is no God besides me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hand. That is the sovereign power of our God. And in this passage, this last one from Deuteronomy 32, notice how God describes his power as the power of his hand. And this is a a common image in Scripture, and it's also the image that Lord's Day 10 uses to describe the providence of God. The power of his hand. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, God governs all things. And some of you might be reminded of a song you learned as a child. He's got the whole world in his hands. And that song is true. It's true. God indeed does have the whole world in his hands. God is even controlling such things as rain and drought, food and drink, riches and poverty, health and and sickness. Indeed, nothing happens by chance, only by God's direction and providence. That means that every blade of grass growing on your lawn, every single snowflake that fell during that snowstorm we just had, Every Rice Krispie that ends up in your cereal bowl and every dollar in your bank account has been given by God's hand, by God's power. He's in control. As Hannah confesses in her song in 1 Samuel 2, which we read, echoing Lord's Day 10, or Lord's Day 10 echoes 1 Samuel 2, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles And he exalts. One thing this should make us realize is how much we depend on the Lord for everything in life. Everything. Now, how often do we not go about our lives completely unaware of our total dependence upon the Lord? We get up in the morning. We go about our work thinking one day we'll just be like the previous one. And sometimes we might make our plans as if we were in full control of our lives. 
when something goes wrong, when perhaps the money becomes tight, all of a sudden we, we might think, oh, I need to depend on God now. Of course, the reality is that we depend on God whether we have lots of money or a little. But it's when we go through something like hard financial times that we realize, it's when we realize we depend on God for everything. You know, if I were to ask you, how do you know you will have food to eat next week? What do you think about? Maybe you think about the money you've saved up in your bank account. Maybe you think about the the food in the grocery store or in your cupboard. But do you think about your Heavenly Father? And don't get me wrong, God might use the the money in your bank account to, to provide food for you. But he may use other means as he sees fit. We read from the book of James that the rich man will pass away like the wildflower. It's not wealth that sustains us. God sustains us. It's not money that we trust in. See, God can just, he may just take it away in his perfect wisdom. You know, if money is the anchor of your heart, you'll find yourself with a lot of anxiety. Instead, let us trust in the Lord always. Realize everything we have in life comes from Him. And remember what we confess in Lord's Day 10. All these things, all these things that come to us, come to us not by chance, but by God's fatherly hand. Right? God is not a cosmic tyrant. Or God is concerned about the world he's made. He's become our father in Jesus Christ. You know, if you ask many people today if they believe in God, many will say, well, I, I believe in a higher power. But whether this higher power is concerned at all with the world, their lives, or has any feelings at all, they can't tell you. Maybe this higher power does not care whether they get sick, starve, or die. But that is not our God. He cares for us. He cares for this world. Psalm 104 says, God waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for man to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens the heart of man. Oil to make his face shine and bread that sustains his heart. God cares for his creation and he cares about his children. His children in Jesus Christ. God has become our father in Christ. Christ's sacrifice on the cross has reconciled us to God. We've been adopted by the king. It means that God the Father has the same favor towards us as he does towards his own son, Jesus Christ. That's because believers are in Christ. And now his fatherly love is a driving force behind all his providence towards us, his children. God cares for his children, cares about his children. Because of this, God also calls us to thankfulness and patience, which is what we'll look at next. 
And because God is in control of all things, we can indeed be thankful for what God has given us. And it's, it is really fitting to look at this Lord's Day on Thanksgiving weekend. Look at the words we read in James 1, verses 16 and 17. There it says, Every good gift comes down to us from the Father of the heavenly, heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good gift. You know, there's so many things in creation we can enjoy. And God does allow us to enjoy them to His glory. What are things that you like to enjoy? Maybe things like music, food, friends, sports, the beauty in creation, you name it. There's so many beautiful things in this world God has made that, that God says, yes, you can enjoy this to my glory. But remember the source of these gifts. Every good gift comes down to us from our Heavenly Father. And that means your health, your food, your job, your family, a free country, your church, your home, your computer, your car, your clothes, your friends, safe travels, the sunshine, the Holy Spirit, free salvation in Jesus Christ come down to us from Him. And it would not be difficult to make that, that list much longer. Remember the great giver of these gifts. When you look at it all, how thankful we should be. I'd like you to reflect for a moment on your prayers. Does thankfulness, does it, does it play a role in the prayers that you offer up to God? You spend time thanking the Lord in prayer. Or are your, are your prayers only a long list of requests? Now, don't get me wrong, making requests to God is good. We should do that. But thankfulness is easy to forget. So often we focus on what we don't have instead of what we have. Well, yeah, we should remember to be thankful. Think of a bride and a groom who receive all kinds of presents at their wedding. And they might have good intentions about sending out thank you cards, but the busyness of life sets in after the honeymoon, and they put thank you cards to the sidelines. And they might forget to thank people for what they gave them. Right? Or maybe a year later you get a card, and thank you for your gift, and you wonder, oh, I can't even remember what I gave them. You know, thankfulness is easy to put to the sidelines, easy to forget. It's also true when it comes to God. However, God notices when we are not thankful. Consider a story in Luke 17. Ten lepers asked Jesus to heal them. Jesus told them to go away, show themselves to the priests, and on their way they were miraculously healed. And one of them returned praising God and thanking the Lord for this healing. Jesus asked him, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Here we see God notices when we are not thankful for his gifts. Where are the other nine, Jesus asked. So I'd encourage you. Make a conscious effort to make thankfulness a part of your prayers. You know, maybe from time to time, write a list of all the good gifts God has given to you. Spend time thanking him in prayer. 
brings glory to God, helps to produce thankful, uh, contentment in our own lives as well. And one of the benefits of, of taking the time to thank God for his gifts is that it guards us against idolatry. See, Romans 1 describes unbelievers like this. Although they knew God from creation, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. What did they do instead? They worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Worship the creature rather than the creator. You know, what's so often at the root of our sin? So often we're tempted to worship God's gifts instead of God himself. We turn God's gifts into an idol to worship. But what happens when we thank God for his gifts, we realize more and more the true source of enjoyment in life is God himself. He's the source of every good thing. And when we thank him, we realize that although the gift is great, the giver is even better. We see him as the source of all of our joy in life, and this increases our worship of God. And this will help us see that even if the gift is taken away, the source of all good is still with us. We have our God. So that's thankfulness. In addition to thankfulness, the doctrine of God's providence also calls us to patience and adversity. And we might go through deep adversity in life. This is a broken life. Maybe some of you are experiencing that very acutely right now. And when we go through that suffering, then we might wonder, where is God? And especially, why does he seem to stand far off when I'm going through all this pain? Right? When you're, when you're going through pain, and it just keep, seems to keep going, and you cry out to God, sometimes it might even feel that, like there's a brick wall between you and heaven. And it can't even happen that as you're going through suffering and you cry out to God that it, it seems like the suffering only gets worse. How, how hard that is. Right? You, it seems like God turns the screw of suffering just further into your life and then you, you wonder why. It doesn't seem to make an ounce of sense. These are the questions that can easily arise out of our heart as we go through suffering. And we confess what we do in Lord's Day 10. God is in control of all things. It might make us wonder. Here we're called to patience and adversity, and that can be hard. How can we do that? How can we be patient in adversity as we wait for God? Well, the best way is to see God's faithfulness in Scripture to those who went through great trials. We do see that in Scripture. Think again of Hannah from 1 Samuel. The Lord had given Hannah no children, and that was hard enough in itself. To make matters worse, her husband Elkanah was also married to Pethina, who had children. And Hannah faced that reality constantly. 
Now, was not all Penina bullied her day after day in order to provoke her over this? Sometimes Hannah was provoked so badly she did not even feel like eating. Now imagine that. And this was no short trial. 1 Samuel 1 tells us it went on like this year after year. Imagine how much pain she went through. And she might have wondered, where is God? Why does he seem to ignore my pain? Why does he seem to only make it worse? And on top of it all, when she is doing the right thing, pouring her heart out before God at the tabernacle, she's falsely accused of being drunk by Eli the priest. Now, as painful as it may have been for Hannah to go through all that suffering, look at what we can see from Scripture. Right? We can step out of her anguish and look at the big picture. That's what God has given us in the Bible for, for giving us Scripture. We can see what God accomplished through it all. Right? For so long it seemed like God was ignoring her Maybe it felt like God did not care for her. We can see God was moving his plan of redemption forward through all of her suffering. And through her prayers arising from her suffering, the Lord would raise up Samuel, the last great judge of Israel. He would prepare the way for the kings and eventually our Lord Jesus Christ. And God had an eye to that. Not only that, but look at Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2. Hannah was brought to a place where she could rejoice in the Lord. And God had an eye to that. Through all her suffering, God was working to bring her to a place of praise, to a, a place of thanksgiving. And Hannah was brought to the place she could confess God was in control of all things for good, despite the trial. Now, of course, you might think to yourself at this point, that's great for Hannah, but God put an end to her trial. He removed her suffering. And that's true. And I'm not going to promise you that God will take away whatever is giving you pain in this life. You might leave it there. And yet you can still trust him. You can trust that he is also working in your life. He's working to bring you to a place where you will praise him. And rejoice in him. You probably cannot see it in the middle of suffering. But neither could Hannah as she went through this trial. Through it all, God is moving his plan of salvation forward also in your life. Trust God in this. And I can say this with confidence because God has promised that through faith in Christ, all things work together for those who love God. And this is one reason why James 1 verse 3 says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, 
Now, how many of you consider it pure joy when you face trials? I can tell you that's not, definitely not my first reaction. The Spirit says through James, it's not the trial itself that gives joy, but the outcome. I mean, the trials that test our faith will result in steadfastness and perseverance. See, when we go through trials and keep looking to God for help and strength, it makes our faith strong in God stronger and stronger, and it builds perseverance helps us persevere right to the very end of our lives and the end of that perseverance is eternal life it's eternal joy in the presence of God that's where God is bringing us see because of Christ's work on our behalf one day we will praise the Lord with all of our heart with all of our being in his presence Praise him even for the hard things he sent us in this life of sorrow. And maybe we don't come to that point until we reach heaven, but we will be brought there nonetheless. You know, and this, this really sets Christianity apart from other religions in this world. You know, every human has to deal with suffering. Many people have to develop schemes to cope. Buddhism seeks to just limit suffering as much as possible. Stoic says you just have to keep a stiff upper lip. Don't get your standards too high and you won't be disappointed. Just keep calm and carry on. The Christian can say, in Jesus Christ I can rejoice even in my sufferings. So my Father has given me all things for my good and nothing shall separate me from his love. And he will wipe away every tear from my eye. Brings us to our last point. Now, in this last point, God protects us from all our enemies. I want to point to the last part of Lord's Day 10. There we confess all creatures are so completely in God's hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. And I do want to point out when we confess that God is in control of all things, it also means he's sovereign over every creature. And yes, that does include. Someone like the devil. Now that can immediately raise questions in our minds, right? How does this work? Lord's Day 10 says that no creature can move outside of God's will. And we might wonder then, does that mean that God makes people sin? And here we must also answer, absolutely not. No. Scripture is clear that God does not make anyone sin. Remember what we read from James 1. When tempted, no one should say that God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. And so we conclude from Scripture that God is sovereign over all things, yet he remains free from any sin, any taint of evil. Now, how exactly God does this, we don't completely understand, but that's because we are only finite creatures. And here's where we need to remember that God is not just a bigger version of us. God is not a human. He's God. You see, we can only imagine God controlling things in a way that humans can control things. For example, if I want to control this glass of water, I just move it with my hand. Right? It's my power just controlling it. But remember, God is not a man. 
He's sovereign over all things. He has ways of working that we can't comprehend as humans, as finite creatures. He's sovereign over all things in a way that he's free from sin. Now, sometimes the doctrine of God's providence can raise all sorts of questions and even anxiety in our, in our minds, yet it should lead us to peace of mind. We are in the hands of our Heavenly Father. So we can know He will keep us safe. will keep us safe until the end. Hannah confesses in 1 Samuel 2, My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. And we can boast over our enemies too. Even Satan, who rages against the people of God, we are in God's hands. That's why Hannah confesses in verse 9, It's not by might that a man prevails. God will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. This confession is echoed in the Kansadord, which says in chapter 5, Because of the remnants of indwelling sin, and also because of the temptations of the world and of Satan, those who have been converted cannot remain standing in that grace if left to their own strength. But God is faithful. He who mercifully confirms them in the grace once conferred upon them, and powerfully preserves them in that grace to the end. God will preserve us. Preserve us by his power. It means for us who believe in Jesus Christ, we can say I'm in God's grace today, and I can be confident I'll be in God's grace tomorrow, and I'll be in his grace always because of his love in Jesus Christ. We are in his hands. Romans 8 says it best, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we realize that, we know that, we can face any trial in life. Satan's rage we can endure. Not by our own strength, but by the strength of God the Father Almighty who is our Father in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing together Psalm 121, stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4.